Amen. Take your Bible and let's look at uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter uh, 2, verses 8 and following. We're going to read one of the nativity stories that Dr. Luke gives us, the one that Dr. Luke gives us by God's direction. And uh, as we consider uh, a sermon I've entitled, What Child, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? One of the many joys of, uh, or for, for many at Christmas time, is the setting up of nativity scenes. Um, there are many folks that do that. Maybe you do that. Um, you put a little manger scene, and often included in that, always included, that is a little sort of a manger. Manger, you know, is, uh, is a, a device used to put feed in it to f- uh, feed the, the, the cattle. Uh, oftentimes it was wood, but and sometimes even stone. It was hewed out. And so it became a nat- natural cradle, uh, if you didn't have a cradle. And uh, in a nativity scene that may be on your uh, hutch or table or wherever you may have it, many folks do, you'll have a manger and you'll have a little baby uh, in that nativity scene. I've, been to, uh, I've had the privilege of being to Bethlehem uh, five or six times, and, uh, and some of you know that that's the, uh, the center for buying the nativity scenes made of olive wood. Uh, there's a whole little cottage industry there where they're, they're working night and day, particularly this time of year, uh, to make these scenes, and some of you bought them. Dottie, did you buy one when you were there, that little nativity? You did, yeah. And it's very common to do that and have it shipped back. It's beautiful olive wood and all of that. Well, um, Unfortunately, in, in many nativity scenes, and you'll see them even in front yards with the lights around them and other places, unfortunately, uh, for many people, all they see when they look at that nativity scene and look at that manger uh, is a baby. That's it, a baby. Now, we love babies. Faithy and I love babies. We love our little babies. We celebrated a birthday this week with our little, little Harper turned two. And uh, Papa and Grammy sent a, a, a package down to Birmingham, Alabama, and that, uh, the post office got it there about three days late. Uh, good thing it was priority mail, that's all I can say. I don't know when it would have got there if it wasn't, but, uh, and, and our little baby opened that up. And uh, we love babies, we do. I, uh, uh, Unfortunately, when some look at the nativity scene, that's all they see is a baby. The same thing is true, let me go to the other end, when they think of the Lord Jesus, when they think of, of him, in a lot of churches you'll see a cross, and he's hanging on a cross. They'll see a baby, that's all it is in nativity, there's a baby, always, and they get warm and, f- warm and mushy and warm all over, right? A baby, right? That moves us. Or the other end, they'll see a cross. There he is. He's hanging on a cross, and he's helpless, and he looks like he's suffering and dead and almost and all that. And it really doesn't tell the story, does it? Either of them. Doesn't tell the story. Part of the story. Um, we don't have a cross here with a body on it because the, that's not the greatest message of the story. I'd like to have an empty tomb up here. What's that over? There's nothing in there. That's it. 
had the joy, one of the great joys of my life, I had the joy of preaching the resurrection in the garden too one day on Easter Sunday. Remember that? What a joy to be there in Gordon's Calvary and, and to open the Word of God and, and to say, why do you seek the dead among the living? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Isn't that great? That's a great. If that didn't happen, just go home. Stay home, read the Sunday paper, drink your coffee, your Starbucks, eat your, or drink your tea and crimpets or whatever you do, <clears throat> your bagels and locks. But no, there's an empty tomb. Empty. That's why we meet on Sunday morning. I get up real early Sunday morning. Get up early most mornings, but Sunday. Great, because the text says, a great while before dawn, the Lord was rose from the dead. Amen. Well, let's come back to Christmas now. We'll save Easter later. Uh, a lot of folks only see a baby. Well, here we go. The old Christmas hymn, What Child Is This? And that, isn't that a great? Is a, is a great old Christmas carol attempts to draw us uh, deeper in considering the wonder of this holy child, this holy one that was born on Christmas morning. And you know the lyrics of that. Right? What child is it? What child is this? Laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet and with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. And then the chorus, this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste, to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate, where ox and ass are feeding. Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. And then the chorus. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. And the nails... Spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the Word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. This, this is Christ the King. Wow. Well, we too are to consider, uh, we do well in considering this one that was born of Mary. Where there's much more here than meets the eye. Don't just see a baby. Much, much more here. And that's what we're going to discover here this morning as, as we consider three titles. Theologians love to call it offices. doesn't mean anything to people in the pew. <laughs> offices, what's that? But uh, it's simply three ways of, dis uh, three works uh, describing uh, what the Lord, the Son, the glorious Lord Jesus did. So three titles, describing the Son born of Mary, compelling us to come and to worship Him, urging us to join the shepherds, the wise men, the angels, and worshiping Him as we behold in a greater degree the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ, this one born at Christmas time. Let's, uh, let's look at our text and read uh, Luke's account. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 8 and following. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, for that will be for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, notice, to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph, and the baby was lying in the manger. And when they had uh, seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and, and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, there's far more than a baby here in a manger. Uh, it's a part of the story. The incarnation is a great miracle of God. God made flesh. It's a great miracle. How in the world does an eternal second person of the Godhead add to himself, God adding to himself something he never was? Humanity. A real human body. A real human nature. How does he do that? It is the miracle, the incarnation. It's fraught with mystery, wonder, and awe. But the path, footprint of God usually is, isn't it? It's filled with mystery. If you could figure it all out, you'd be God. But most of the time, we can't even remember when to come up on the platform to, <laughs> or my social security number, right? What is it here? I used to know it. How about your phone number, right? How about your home phone number? I know the cell. Most of us have buttons now. Oh, yeah, there's their picture. That's who I'm calling. My home number, what's... And then if they hit you with a zip code, you're like, what? <laughs> Mystery, wonder, and awe, the incarnation. Far more than just a baby in the manger. And that's what we're going to discover here. Three titles, if you will. And these three titles taken together reveal the whole purpose of God in the Incarnation. It was John Calvin who first uh, put these three titles describing the work of Jesus in coming to save you and me in this institute of the Christian religion. Three titles or offices describing. Well, let's join the shepherds, wise men, and angels as we worship beholding. The first uh, title describing the Son as Jesus is Prophet. He revealing God to us. In John uh, chapter 1, and we're going to move to a couple of places today. Don't uh, grow weary of that. But uh, in John chapter 1, that glorious uh, prologue of the Gospel of John, we discovered this beloved uh, friend of Jesus writing uh, this, these wonderful words. Uh, in the beginning, verse 1, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's the word logos in the Greek. And the Word was God, not a God, like our Jehovah Witness friends would 
would wrongfully teach. There's no indefinite article in the Greek. And he was God in the beginning. He's referring to Jesus. And through him, all things were made. God made all things through his son, Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. That life was the light of all men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And look down at verse 10. Jesus was in the world, and through the world, and though the world was made by him, the world didn't recognize him. Some have said that the Roman Empire, with all their vast communication systems, and they did have it, and all their roads and all that, were grossly ignorant of the vicinity of God. There he was in their midst. And even the Jewish people didn't recognize him for who he was, the anointed one, the promised one, the coming king who had been announced from the beginning pages of the word of God. They missed him. Many did. Don't you miss him. Don't you miss him. And he came. He came to his own. His own didn't recognize him. And, uh, and, and let's keep reading. He came to that which was his own, he did not receive him. Verse 12, yet all, and here's our hope, right? Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born, born not of natural descent, like we have our children, right? Nor of human decision or a, a husband's will, but rather born of God. And here's the first 14. One of the great verses in our Bible, you should have this highlighted, for it teaches the wonder in a clear verse of the incarnation of Jesus, that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Strange words, but how would you describe one who always was and became something he never was prior, a human being, born as, as a baby in the Virgin Mary? And that's what John is doing. He's stretching language like a rubber band to the furthest point of breaking, trying to describe the miracle and mystery and wonder of Christmas in Christ. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And John said, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, he's uh, Jesus' prophet. He reveals... God the Father to us. A prophet, eh? Uh, uh, look, when he became incarnate, uh, uh, he became a declaration in human flesh uh, of what God is. Now here's the point. Uh, to summarize it, if you want to know what God is really like, God is spirit, God the Father. But for us, and we relate to physical things, don't we? I mean, uh, we're, we're immaterial and material, but God has made us in this, His world to re relate to material things. I don't do very well with things that are, are, are uh, above the physical, metaphysical. Uh, you know, I can't see them, taste them, feel them and all that, touch them. But uh, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He reveals the Father. Fully and completely, and, 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 there, and watch the way he is and what he does. His tenderness with the children, suffer the children coming to me. For such is the king. His, his love for the children, his love of life, his industry, 
He works, uh, he grows up, he goes to synagogue school, he knows the scripture, he, 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 he goes to the down and outers, he raises the dead, he talks to a, a woman of ill repute at uh, the, the Samaritan well. You know, I must needs go. I must go there. You know, what is, you say, what is God like? Look at Jesus. As, as his office of prophet, he reveals it in technical color to us. God is not far away that in little known now, but fully revealed to us in physical form. God is the great lover. How do we know it? Look at Jesus. They say that with the cross. You know, how much does God hate sin? Look at the cross. The horrible death instrument. And nobody ever died like he died. God hates sin. Look at that. Look at the cross. You say, well, how much does God love us? Look at the cross. That's the depth of the heart and the love of God for us. God is the great lover. I love my wife very much. We've enjoyed 34 plus years together, you know. And it grows and grows. gets better and better. I think probably because I figure it out a little bit more each year. But I'm not the great lover, although I love my wife. We're commanded to love our wives. God is the great lover. He's the great pattern. And love gives. And I'm so grateful for that. He's a God of mercy. And God's kindness. God is the ultimate kind one. It's God's kindness that ought to lead us to repentance. Paul said that in Romans. Kindness. God is so kind. He's forgiving. He releases us of all of our sin. And the amazing thing is, after he saves us, we still sin. And we say, oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the bonds of this? I don't need to sin, but we sin in word, thought, and deed. And it's all forgiven. It's not like he forgives you up to the point of salvation, and after that you're sort of on your own. All of it's forgiven. You want to talk about the kindness of God. Look at the kindness in Jesus. It's kindness. Even when he's abused and kicked around and kicked in the teeth and nailed the Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Oh, Lord. I say, I have a long way to go on that. When somebody hurts me or sticks their finger in my children's eye or something, you want to, come on, step outside, you know? You know, we want justice. God made us to understand justice. But justice is ultimately found at the throne of God. And Jesus commits himself to the Father, who's in control of all things. And so if you want to know what God the Father's like, look at Jesus. It ought to transform the way you read the Gospels. That's God. That's what God is like. He's not far away. In him we live and move and have our being. He knows our thoughts. He hears our words. It's wonderful, really. He's a prophet. Well, what's a prophet? Look at A. A prophet is one who comes with a message from God to the people. He speaks forth for God. Some of it's foretelling, uh, foretelling, but most of it isn't. Most of the time when we think of prophecy, we say, well, tell us what's going to happen next week, next year, you know, out in the future. A prophet prophesizes. And that's a part of it. Uh, Daniel's great prophecy of 70 weeks in Daniel 9, right? It's a God's divine prophetic clock, 70 weeks. 
But most of a prophet's ministry is not predicting the future. It's simply speaking forth God's Word. That's what a prophet does. Now notice the direction. God appoints this man, this person, and that one speaks to the people God's Word. That's the direction of a prophet. Revealing God and His will through the prophet to the people. Now, we have prophets in the Old Testament. I have your list here. And, and most of you know, you know, Isaiah, the great classical writing prophet, Jeremiah, Daniel, then the minor prophets. We have prophets in the New Testament. They're the, part of the foundation of the church. You know, we don't have the New Testament canon written. It's not finished. And God is in the early days after Pentecost speaking not only to the apostles, but he has prophets speaking forth the will of God in the new covenant to the first generation of believers until they got the word, the prophet, foretelling the will of God, revealing God. That's what Jesus is doing. He's revealing God. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God in flesh. He's revealing God to man. It's an amazing story. It's an incredible story when you think of it. And that's what God does. There's an active, uh, there's a passive and an active sense in the work of a prophet. The passive sense is that God picks the ones he's going to speak through. The message comes to them from God. God initiates. God is a great initiator. You know, men, you're to be that way. You bear the headship in, 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 in that role and the relation and and, and the woman is made more to be physically and every to be the responder, to be the receiver. You and I bear that likeness to God that way. God initiates. He calls out. He selects his prophets, his spokespeople, to speak the word of God. And he did that in the Old Testament. He did it in the New And this is the most important sense. There's some that pretend to speak the voice of God. There's some that fill pulpits today that teach something that's another gospel. That's not God's appointed person. God's still calling out and appointing people today. God gave pastor teachers as a gift today. They're they're part of his gift. God tapped me on the shoulder years ago, and... uh, my mother said when I was a little child, one day walking around the block, I told her one day, looked I said, I want to be a pastor. I didn't even remember saying it. And then bit by bit, I was headed in business and worked in business, and, and God began to draw me, and I realized I better get more training. And bit by bit, he has led me all these years. I'm unworthy. Who's worthy? None of us are. I'm a sheep too, you know. I'd rather sit there, let you preach. I'll take notes. You know, I, I feel that way often. And so job one for me is make sure this might get my heart right every day and fill my, my soul full of the Word of God. And do what John MacArthur said once to a bunch of pastors. Go in your study, stay there, read the Word, get on your knees and pray, and don't come out until God gives you the message. His message for His people. You're the conduit. Do you know that in, a, in another way, you as moms and dads in and disciples, and Sunday school teachers, and nursery, all that, you bear also an essence of uh, a prophetic voice. 
as you teach the will of God, you teach the, the Bible in small group and large to others, you are speaking the very will and word of God. You're revealing God in his word, and it's, it's Christ speaking through you. It's a humbling thing, and it demands the very best. We need to be prepared and ready in season and out to do the will of God. Well, Jesus did it perfectly, wonderfully. And then the active sense, of course, is telling the message and being faithful. How about Samuel, the young prophet, got that dream? It was a bad, it was a bad not a dream, a bad message from, from God as a young boy about Eli and his sons and his family. And, and uh, bad news for Eli's sons. And, and yet Eli, as a young boy, had to deliver the message to, uh, to the high, high priest. And he told him. He delivered God's word. And that's the, that's the essence of a prophet. And the duty, as three, is to reveal the will of God to people. And often, it's moral. This is God's moral will and desire and spiritual aspects of life. That's where a, that's where a, a prophet uh, deals with. This is what God says about this and that and all the details of life. B, there are many prophets. I've mentioned that. And yet Jesus is the greatest of all. He's the greatest revelation, revealer of God. I've said enough on that for now. Uh, In what ways? One, his teaching in the gospel demonstrates a greater variety of subjects and more comprehensive revelation than is found in any of the other Old Testament prophets in total. You read all that Jesus did and said. And John tells us if, they, if everything was written was put in a book, the world wouldn't be able to contain it. It's hyperbole, intended exaggeration, but the Lord said a whole lot more than what we have in the Holy Scriptures. It's amazing. Amazing. But uh, number two, he's unlike all the other prophets in that Jesus revealed God not only in the spoken ministry and the things that he taught, hear him preach, the Sermon on the Mount and others, Olivet Discourse, but also in his life and in his person. So when you looked into his eyes and into his soul as he taught, it, it is God, it is God verily. He revealed God in life and death and his resurrection Jesus was the revelation of God far beyond any other prophet or those functioning as a prophet. In Luke 13, 33, Jesus speaks of himself as a prophet. He talks about no prophet dies outside of Jerusalem, referring to himself. He's making haste to get to the city of Jerusalem. No prophet, referring to himself. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, that old classical passage, Moses writes, foretells that there's going to be another prophet coming. And Acts, and I have it on your sheet, Acts 3, 22, identifies by inspiration that that Moses was speaking of Jesus, the prophet, referring to his office as prophet, revealing God the Father to us. Revealing to see and to hear more clearly. Wow. Aren't you glad for this, the sensory that God has given to you? I mean, I often think about that. Uh, there, there are five senses that God has given. Sight, aren't you glad to be able to see, and the spectrum of the color, and, and to be able to, it's there, and there's so much more there, but we see this much of the, of the, uh, of the spectrum of light. And to hear, 
you know, to hear and to talk and to communicate. Uh, some of us don't hear as well as we once did, right? But uh, to hear and to taste, you know, I'm so glad strawberry shortcake, uh, the taste of that and the Philly cheesesteaks and other good stuff, right? It all has a, a unique variety and taste. Some of you like garlic. I know I've smelled it uh, and that kind of stuff. And that's another smell, right? How about that connection? Went right to it, smell. And, uh, and, then, and then touch. And, you know, if you didn't have the five senses, we'd, be, we'd bump into each other and not, never even know it. We wouldn't feel anything. We wouldn't hear any crash. We wouldn't see anything. We wouldn't smell each other. Isn't that amazing? To be able to see and to hear. And that's the essence of what Jesus says, that we might be able to more clearly see through his prophetic office the wonder of our Father who is in heaven. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. Well, how is that in John 14? Because he was the clearest manifestation on earth of God the Father. Wow, prophet. Man, so much more than a baby, see. Not not a baby, just a baby. That's part of the story. It's only the beginning there on earth. But more, the second off, Jesus is priest. The great high priest representing us to God. In 1 Timothy chapter, turn to that. This, you, you ought to know this passage. Some of your friends may struggle a little bit with having priests at church and all that kind of thing. I'll go to the priest and confess and all that. And the Word of God teaches us that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. He's the only priest. He's the high priest. He's the only go-between. You need never confess your sin to another, that another might pray and represent you before God. Now, see, notice the direction on this one now. Just the opposite. you got the people that were sinners needing to find forgiveness. And we go to a priest then, this high priest, Jesus, and then he represents us before Holy, the holy God in heaven, our Father. You see, the work of a priest goes, starts this way, and then up. The prophet is just the reverse. God has the message, picks the man to deliver it, and goes to the people. So if you think of that, that will always help you. I know in our day in the church, often this is the most foreign to us of the three offices of Jesus. The priest, it sounds so foreign and different and and, uh, and we, don't, we don't know how, how to handle that always because we didn't go to the temple or tabernacle and bring our ram to be slaughtered like the old economy. And we, it's, a, it's foreign to us a little bit. So, but we can learn it and learn what the Lord is and we can and come to the place of, of loving this, really. For when he came, he came as Savior. And that's going to refer to all of his priesthood as the sacrificial lamb, he's Savior, to rescue us from sin through offering himself as our substitute. Well, what is a priest? Hey, a priest is one appointed by God to represent men and women in the presence of God. This means that he's a mediator. He's the go-between. The go-between. That's, uh, that's the uh, place of our Lord. I don't know if in life if you ever had a go-between. 
maybe uh, when you were dating, if you're married and you had a fight with your dear one and it didn't look very good and then you talk to her girlfriend and, oh, you got to go talk to her. I was a dummy. I'm so stupid. I'm stupid. <laughs> go tell her I love her really. You know, that's a go-between. That's a, that's a, in, 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 in arbitration, it worked. Maybe there's an honest dispute. You have to sit down. You have to have a mediator, a go-between. Well, what's the greatest go-between of all? It's, it's the work of Jesus as Savior, as the one who died in our place. He's much more than a baby. He's a man now, perfect and holy, the, the second Adam, the plan of the ages. He's going to... He's going to enter into his high priestly ministry as go-between. We need him. And the high priest had the, in the Old Testament had the special privilege of approach to God and of speaking and acting on behalf of the people. On the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, you can read about it, Leviticus 16. And only on this one day could the high priest come into the holy of holy place. One day a year. God described it. They didn't come on this themselves. God said, one day a year, on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, you can approach. And they, he approached twice. He went behind the veil into the holy place. There, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, with a blood in hand, representing the people before holy God. God invited him. You didn't just mosey in on any, I'm going in today. Don't do it. Don't do it. One day. You go in first for your own sin, high priest. You're a sinner, and you need to be covered. Then for the sins of the people on Yom Kippur. And here's the message, okay? The message is this. God is saying, I am holy, and you are not. So stay away. Keep out. Don't go near. That's the message. Is, is it any wonder then Jesus is our great high priest, our mediator, more than a baby, that when he died on Calvary's cross and he breathed his last and he finished offering the great sacrifice of his own blood for us, ransoming us from our sin? that the veil of that temple was ripped in half from top to bottom, showing that the way to God was now open. Come, he says, come. Come unto me. That's our high priest. That's our high priest. Oh, we boldly enter now because he made the way possible through his own blood there on Calvary. You see, it's the shadow of the cross that hangs over the cradle. That's the great work of our Lord as high priest. Wow. Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 5 is the classic passage on it, 1 to 10. Read that. We don't have time to read that this morning. But Hebrews 5, read that this week. And it will more fully show you and help you understanding this tremendous work of the Lord Jesus as our go-between, our mediator. For he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for us even, even now. 
He prayed for us, and he prays for us. And John 17, 9 is very interesting. John 17 is often called uh, the, high priest of, uh, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in 17, verse 9, that'll mess you up a little bit. If your theology is not quite right, where you'll have to think about it. Jesus said, I don't pray for the whole world. I'm not praying. But I'm praying for those who believe through your message, the disciples, down through the centuries of time. That's our high priest. And he ever lives to make intercession. That's the Hebrews 7.25. He's praying for us now. Aren't you glad for that? He is. I need his prayer. I need your prayers as pastor. We all need his prayers. He's our high priest. A priest, what does he do? He prays for the people. He offers their gifts. Think of all their gifts, their meal offering and, and, their, and, and, and the sacrifices that they offered, free will offerings. And then he comes and he represents them in a sin offering. The, the work of a high priest. And that's what Jesus, in fact, has done and is doing for us. Wow. This is why the angel told Joseph in, in, in Matthew one twenty one, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Well, he saves us not because of his role as prophet, not because of his, of his role as king, we're going to see that next, but because he's our high priest. You see, the second law. He's prophet, priest, the high priest. And last, we're going to see that he's king of kings and lord of lords. Wow. The third and final title or office describing the Lord Jesus, born of Mary, compelling us to come and to worship him. Jesus is king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. In Matthew chapter 2, that uh, glorious account of, uh, again, the, uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus. In chapter 2, uh, in those early, early days, uh, when the, the wise men come to visit, uh, in verse 1, and after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, or we call them wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem. And here's what they ask. Where is this one who has been born king? King of the Jews. We saw a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Of course, when King Herod heard this, that nutty, old, perverted, wicked king, he wasn't really a king. Yeah, it was at best a governor, but he liked the title king, the Rhodian line there. What a nice guy he was. Killed his wife and his sons. He was just jealous that they wouldn't do him in and take his throne. Uh, really nice guy. Where's this one, they said, who's been born king? You see, it's much more than a baby. Prophet, priest, and now king. That's what he is. Where is this one? He is the ruling and reigning promised son of David's line. This is why Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem, in David's city. You know that, right? 2 Samuel 7.12. The Davidic covenant. God's promise to David that there's going to be a, a son that comes from your lineage who will rule and reign as king forever and ever and ever. And so God in his great sovereignty, you know, he's in charge of all history. He's in charge of your histories as well, as mine. 
We marveled at that yesterday. Faith and I went down to Maryland. There was part of our immediate family. They were celebrating a one-year birthday of a little Cammy, our niece's uh, little girl, and there Faithy's sister-in-law, Ruth, was there. We, at first, we'd seen her since we buried her husband, Paul, Faithy's brother, in January. Remember that? Suddenly, Paul was taken to glory without warning. And uh, I had a chance to talk to Ruth. How are you doing, Ruth, without Paul? And, you know, I, it's hard, she said, but the Lord gives grace. And after all, she told me, he's in charge. He's in charge of all things. And he doesn't make a mistake. And she's right. He's not only the God of history, of the big history, the, the mega history, moving nations and people and all of that, and the edict of Rome that a census would be taken, and, and now people are migrating and moving, and here goes this pregnant lady and, and Joseph, and they're walking. Imagine that, kids, walking. We don't even walk to school anymore, do we? Where's the bus? It's, you know, two blocks away. Walking to Bethlehem. Why is that? God was bringing about the fulfillment of his word. Micah 5, 2. Announced the city that this one would be born. King. He's king of kings and lord of lords. The Magi knew that. God had told him. He's far more than a baby. And that's why, and the same thing's true in your life and mine. God is sovereign in our lives in particular, in the details. And he works even through our sin and all of that to bring glory to himself and the calling out of a people for his glory. Vessels of honor, Paul said. He's the potter, we're the clay. And so Mary and Joseph make the long journey so that Jesus would be born in the city of David. Well, B, Daniel had foretold that Jesus is coming. He had said in that uh, panorama of uh, world history, in Daniel, I just... I want to read, he cites the last kingdom that would be on the face of the earth. It would be the kingdom of the Lord Jesus in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And hear the words of Daniel. In my vision at night I looked, and, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And now speaking of Jesus Six centuries before he was born, he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. And all peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion, that means he's a king, his everlasting dominion. That will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel 7, an everlasting kingdom. And this is why the crowd in God's uh, way of honoring his son on Palm Sunday in Luke 19. Remember Palm Sunday? They cut the palm branches, and the Lord rides into Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered. He rides in, according to Zechariah, as the king. And they had the palm branches, and they laid them down. And for that moment, riding in just before his death, that very week, and they, they, they celebrated him as king, king, king. And they bowed before him. He's king. 
And he's king now. He rules and reigns. His coordination at the right hand of the Father now. It's a spiritual kingdom now, and the full manifestation has yet to be seen when the curse is reversed and the Lord returns and the glory of the earth and the reshaping and fashioning and the wonder of it, and, and we will see it in its full glory in the days to come. And I can't wait for the millennial kingdom of Jesus when it will be fulfilled. Wow. Well, what child is this? What child? As much as we may love babies, he's far more than a baby. Get past that. What humility, what condescension, what lowliness. Born as a baby. If you were God, how would you send your son? I'd send him in a Ferrari. A 911 Porsche Turbo. Here he is. Straighten up. You're in deep trouble. Turn or burn, you know. <laughs> Not God. Wow. A baby. I often taught on that muse in days gone by. God is so great, you know. His solution for the enormous, the enormous problem of sin. Not to send in the Marines or the Calvary. Send them since a baby. You know, we get a forerunner of that with with Aaron in Egypt, with the children of Israel, and with Moses. They're under the edict of death. Kill all the male uh, Hebrew children. And God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? I'll give a baby there, we'll hide him, and I'm going to let Pharaoh's daughter raise him. He will be the deliverer. It's a, it's a type of Christ. God's so great. He's never worried. He's never late. Oh, what am I going to do? We do that, don't we? Oh, what am I going to do now? God never said that. It's all according to his plan. He's so great. He sends a baby to be the solution to our greatest problem. Man. Is that great? Wow. More than a baby. What is he? What child is this? He's prophet. He's priest. And he's king. King of kings. And Lord of lords. I say to you, this is the Christ of Christmas. Lessons for our life. Let's quickly look at them. We'll be done. Number one, let me urge you to celebrate Christmas for what it really is. Oh, it's so great. Isn't it a great time of the year? It's so great. It is. The Christmas carols and songs and the glory. Somebody told me the other day, a friend of mine is a professor of music, and, and he was reported to have said, that God gave the world some of the, 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 and his, the greatest music of all time were the Christmas carols and songs they, that have been written, that we sing and hum. It's only a shame that uh, we only sing them for four, five, six weeks of the year. Right, Tanya? Hans told us you want to sing them. We could do that in July, but, you know, they think we lost our minds. <laughs> the birth of the glorious prophet, priest and king. Number two. Number two, worship the Lord Jesus. I invite you to come and to adore him. Celebrate him. Bow before him as the magi, as the shepherds, as the angels. King of kings, Lord of lords. God made flesh. Number three, 
recognize that the giving of God's Son is the greatest gift ever given. We imitate that by the giving of gifts to those we love and those we may not even know. Because God gave the greatest gift. His own Son, veiled deity wrapped in humanity, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Number four, remember Jesus came first, the first time, and he's coming again. He came once, he's coming again as the conquering hero, far greater than a Douglas MacArthur, I shall return. We love that, don't we? Far greater than Patton's Third Army. Faithy's dad served in that. The conquering hero, Revelation 19. He's coming again. And it may be soon. It may be today. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. And number five and last. Have you received Christ the Lord as your own Savior and Lord, your high priest and king? Oh, you must do that. I can't do it for you. I would if I could. I can't. Oh, come to know him, Christ the Lord. Oh, it's the greatest thing. Oh, and spread the word, the glad tidings, like the shepherds. Let's go and tell everyone. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. What child is this? The glorious Son of God. Let's stand and be dismissed. May God give you a great week to serve him, to live for him, to celebrate these days as we move towards Christmas Day. Father, dismiss.